0: Hello and welcome to Connected, a podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology, and everything that's good. I'm ASD, a digital man here at MediaCom.
1: Hi, I'm Sue
0: Uniman. I'm Chief Transformation Officer at MediaCom. And joining us today is Chris Hemmings. Chris, how are you doing?
2: Hello. Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Well, you know, surviving.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> can you not complain? Oh, there's just uh, no point.
2: I can definitely complain, and I will if you want. But <laughs> yeah. That's a whole different podcast. Yeah.
0: Chris is a journalist, a speaker, an author and a broadcaster and in late 2017 he released a book be a Man, How Macho Culture Damages Us and How to Escape It, which looks at the myriad of, of ways in which the male pursuit of dominance damages men, women, boys and girls, both physically and mentally. He now speaks at schools, universities and places of work to promote a healthy idea of what it means to be a man. He is also a freelance journalist who has worked for the BBC, Sky, ITV and written numerous national, for numerous national newspapers, including The Independent and Telegraph. He's also produced and presented short form documentaries for BBC Two, made radio packages for BBC Four and reported for a variety of broadcasters. He's also appeared as a contributor on the BBC, CNN and ITN.
1: Well, Chris, very much been looking forward to this podcast. And I'm going to open up by asking you, what was the thing? What was the tipping point that made you step back and, and take a look at macho culture and what it was doing to society?
2: Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, That was a comprehensive introduction, (laughs) yeah, Uh, yeah, taken directly from my website. Um, It's a a story I've told a million times now, Uh, and um, so I was uh, a member of the rugby club at university, and we were performing like dickheads, is the only way I can describe it, um, quite often and when I was in first year um, obviously freshers uh, have their autonomy taken away from them that's kind of the dynamic for some weird reason um, and uh, I, I was put on door duty uh, and I was told quote if any birds were to come in the room I had to throw my drink on them um, and I'd actually done it once before and hadn't felt any remorse for it because i'd got the kind of adulation from my club mates that i felt i fully deserved um and only this time was slightly different because this time my friend holly was looking for her friend's birthday party in the un- in the student union and she came in through the door and so then i was in two minds and i actually questioned the lads uh, as i will describe them um and said protested basically and asked whether or not I could be excused because it was my friend. Obviously that only riled them up more and made it made them more determined that I would would do it. And so in that moment I had a choice to make. Um and I made the wrong choice. Uh and I threw my drink on, on Holly and this weird feeling came over me um that I'd never really experienced before. Uh I know now that looking back, that that was my empathy screaming at me, saying, what the hell are you doing? Um, and then about six months later, when I was. So so, so at that point, I kind of ignored it. Uh, but then like six months later, when I was a second year, um, I was actually the social secretary. So uh, I don't know how oh, fair you are swearing on this, but, um, you know, I, I okay. was. fake basically- I was basically the dickhead in charge of the dickheads being dickheads. That's how I describe it now. Um, and um, I was told by because I, cause I was the social secretary. So I was in charge of the of the drinking and, and the and the lunacy. So I was told by some of the third years that I wasn't being hard enough on the freshers. And so this one time when all the freshers were naked because, you know, rugby freshers naked. Um, I, I'd i been bullied for being fat. So I picked on a guy who'd obviously lost a lot of weight and had like a lot of loose hanging skin around his midriff. And I pointed him out and I remember saying the words, look how disgusting he is. I remember saying those words. Um, and I'd never bullied anybody in my life before, like in, in that way. Um, and that was the moment that was just like this lid came off and my empathy. Started to spill out, and I kind of left that evening and slowly extricated myself from the club and from that mentality. And yeah, just started to really start to question, like, what the hell am I doing here? Uh, this isn't me, this isn't who I am, and it's been a mad journey since. So, I mean, it must
1: have been a, quite a lonely decision to make,
2: yes yes I ended up um I say I mean I say yes because I ended up I was living with a group of I lived in a house of seven rugby lads in my second year which I wouldn't recommend um and by the time I got to my third year none of them wanted to live with me which was understandable but I was also the club captain of the cricket team in my third year so it wasn't like I didn't have a a, a social environment but I did I did choose social suicide. I did opt for social suicide, which I hope we can get into down, down the line in this, is actually, I realized one of the big factors which prevents a lot of behaviors being called out in the first place is because men are fearful of that, of, of being, being pushed out of the social circle that they're in because they're daring to question the behaviors of it. Um, so it was in a way, Yes, um, but uh, never once will I regret it.
0: Well, well, thank you for being so open. I think it's really interesting and what well, do you think there is a difference between the working class and then upper middle middle class masculine ideals and do they then need to be addressed differently because what you're talking about there is you know university which is a specific sector and then within that then rugby cricket clubs there's a different there's lots of different types of masculinity maybe and do you think and so do you think we need to address each differently then
2: I've you know what it's such a good question and it's very rarely been asked of me but I I address it quite I I, I say it I say it like this from from the conversations I, I grew up um I'm from kind of lower middle class background but i grew up in a very working class area um and but then i went to a private school and became the posh rugby wanker Mm. so in a way i've i've been involved with both sides of it and what i can suggest is that the core values are exactly the same the drivers are exactly the same But the presentation of it Mm. is completely different because of the just, just because of the environment that you find yourself in. So I find myself in a in a bar in a student union with a load of posh, mostly white middle class men. But I speak to men who do work with gangs and The drivers are the same. It's about asserting dominance. It's about showing no weakness and no vulnerability. It's about that alpha maleness. And as I've just mentioned, one's inability to call it out and call out the negative behaviors that are happening. So I use the example in my talks. I use the example of the Bullingdon Club burning 50 pound notes in front of a homeless person on the streets of Oxford and how I... There is no way that you you will ever be able to convince me that at least one of the people involved in that didn't feel bad about it, but didn't speak up, because obviously they would have been pushed out and laughed at. And then you look at this rising culture of gang members sexually assaulting and raping the girlfriends of rival gangs as a means of showing their dominance. And again, there is no way that you can convince me that at least one of the people in that gang don't know that that's hurtful and wrong, or they don't speak up. So the problems are different wherever you look in society. And it's not just about class. It's, you know, they, they exist in religion. I've spoken to religious people and they say that they exist there. You know, there are, there are, there are problems in all corners and walks of society. But fundamentally, I do believe that the drivers are the same.
1: I think that's really interesting. And for the book that I wrote, Belonging, we were shown um, the detail of the Hearst research on the paradox of modern man. And one of the quotes from it resonates with with what you're saying, which is um, men haven't changed, but everyone else, everything else has changed towards them. And soon a man won't be able to do anything or say anything without being branded as horrible or sexist. And yet you're saying if you dig deep, You know what the right thing to do is. But you can see how to a lot of men it feels as though the role models that they've grown up with are now being trashed. What is the role model for a man in modern society? What's the identity of a man in modern society?
2: Um, There isn't
1: one.
2: Because there doesn't That there, there as in there isn't one. There is, there is a whole gamut of ways in which I and you, Andrew and anybody, can express themselves. Um, And that is the fundamental problem that we face: is that for so long there has been this homogenous ideal of what it means to be a man, and you know i to use to use it to use an even to use an even more ridiculous class analogy uh, i went to do a conference recently at a hedge fund conference just before lockdown um and there was probably 200 people in the audience and uh we're at a five star hotel somewhere out in surrey and it's this beautiful place and it's a thursday afternoon and the sun's shining and Every single man in that room is wearing a, 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 a suit and tie and jacket. And every single woman in there is wearing a brightly colored, loose, loose fitting blouse, like dressed for summer, dressed for the occasion. And also dressed for the fact that they're at a five star resort and they're not in the office. So they have a little bit more freedom to show some individuality. And every single man in there has the same haircut. And I made that joke and they all laughed. And there was one guy in there who'd come in what looked to me like comfortable attire, and I got him to stand up, and I got him. I, 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 I was like solidarity with you, mate, because I'm wearing trainers. I'm, 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 I'm i have like, I don't get it. And it's this, it's this loss of individuality that we have within it's because that is a that is a pack mentality whether you like it or not yeah that, he, that hedge fund is a pack but that, that those those hedge fund managers are in are involved in a pack mentality that this is how we have to look in all this is our uniform in order mm-hmm. for us to look like the job that we want to do
1: it's, it's really it's really interesting oh you're talking about dress code one of the things that um Strikes me as extraordinary, and we used to talk about it when I get, we gave our our talks for the previous book Glass Wall, is that um you know at some point in the talk I was sometimes to point out that that a lot of women in the audience were cross dressing, as uh, it would have been known in 1910, as in today I'm wearing a blue dress you know yesterday I was wearing black trousers I I segue very very easily between the two, um, I've only ever once. Had meetings with a man in the office in a dress.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and when I say that, especially if there's men in the audience, you get this huge embarrassed laugh, as in, oh, how could she say something so shocking? And you yeah. think, wow, it was shocking. It was shocking for women to wear trousers in 1910. Yeah. It's still shocking for men yeah. to wear a dress to work in 2021.
2: Yeah. But but then you also, you know, I, I go into schools. Quite yeah. often, um, are long, long for the days of actually going into a school. Yeah. Um, and a question that I get asked really, really regularly is, what do you think the dress code should be in schools? Mm. And the places where I get asked that are places where I look out and I can see that the boys are mandated to wear ties and the girls aren't. So the boys have to walk around with a piece of cloth tied tightly around their neck. And the girls don't. The girls are given the freedom to wear, to experiment a little bit more, not a huge amount more. So my answer to them is always the same, is that there should be a dress, if there is a dress code, because I mean, I hate all uniforms, um, but if there is a dress code, it should be identical. There should just be one dress code and it shouldn't be gender specific. And some schools find that baffling to, to, to try and implement and I was mm-hmm. like but it's the most simple thing in the world here's the dress code you can choose whatever you like from the list of acceptable items on it mm-hmm. but this is but this is the thing it's, it's that, that loss of individuality that for some reason is, is, is drilled out of men that we we aren't allowed the we don't allow each other because you know we are still mostly in charge we don't allow each other the freedom to express ourselves properly in, that, in the same way that women are given freedoms. And I know that we have met many more freedoms, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. But that, but that loss of individuality is a core part of that alpha male syndrome.
1: It's kind of like that's the price of the, uh, of, the, of the power.
2: Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, that's it, if you, want, if, 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 if you want to climb up the greasy pole, you have to do it in a defined way. And you have to, my dad always used to say to me, Chris, you never play the game. And I used to say, yeah, well, fuck the game. I hate the game. I'd much rather be happy and being myself than playing, the, playing by somebody else's rules. And he used to, he used to get angry at me about that. Is that, but you're, you know, you're missing out on opportunities. I was like, no, but I'm also having many, many more.
0: Hmm. How interesting. So as a man, what steps can I take now to be an agent of change? And against this macho culture,
2: um, I don't want to patronize you, but I'm going to tell you no, exactly please. what I tell the fourteen, fifteen-year-old boys when I do when, I, when <laughs> I'm in schools with them. Um, I say every 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 single one of you, whether you're the nerdiest kid in the library or you're the captain of all of the sports teams, you have a you have a sphere of influence. And actually, I was speaking to my partner about this last night when she was talking about some work that she was doing and she wants to make huge changes to societal structures. And I was like, you can't do that. You have to be realistic. If you try and do that, you're going to end up miserable because you're not going to succeed. So every single day you will see or hear or experience something that, you know, there is something inherently wrong with and i'm talking in schools here you might not because i'm assuming there's not a lot of bullying in the corridors at MediaCom. i don't know um but every single day those kids will see something or hear something that they know is, a ca- is, is, is casually wrong and every single day that they walk past that and don't say anything or they allow it to happen or they laugh and they clap like a seal because it's what is best for them they become a part of the problem and I say to them, look, it's not your fault. I'm not blaming you for any of this. But I hope that one day you'll remember that guy that came into your school and told you this and said that every single time you see one of those things or hear or witness or experience one of those things and you and, and you speak up, you've changed the world forever. And the first time you do it, I've changed the world forever because you're doing it because I've explained it to you and then the person who explained this to me years ago has changed the world forever and so actually I want this kind of positive snowball to roll forward so if after this today and and I promise you man it won't be the first or the second or the third because it's really really hard but if amongst your friendship group you experience things that you know are damaging or somebody is glossing over uh some pain that they're in or some trauma that they're suffering or whatever and you're the one and i talk about bravery and strength and toughness as these bastions of masculinity and actually a lot of people are trying to disavow those as part of masculinity and i say well no let's co opt them and make them something positive to be brave enough to step up be strong enough in your convictions and be tough enough to stick it out and to say no this isn't right let's do something different, let's behave differently, let's have a proper conversation because if you do then you change the world forever in that moment and it's incremental steps, we're not going to change this overnight.
0: That's so interesting, there's a point, I'm reading that um, The Fall of Man by Grayson Perry and he talks about how society now, we've got to really appreciate that the default norm is the white middle class male deform. And so when things are seen as other to that, it just means it's other to what is best for the white middle class male. And actually, that's not what should be right. And so the point there is that there's a point where we need to, as a white middle class male, I have to recognise that where things may seem default or natural to me, that may not be the right way in the first place. And so when I call things out, it doesn't even necessarily have to be this really overt with all due respect chucking a pint over a girl walking through a door, there, there's a myriad of other things that we need to learn and appreciate that aren't right, that aren't the healthy thing for men and women, for my daughters, for my wife, for the people I work with and that's a difficult thing to understand as well because it's all, it's then also about, it's then undermining this society which I've grown up in which was sort of built to recognise me as as the the person that should be, have the easiest path to the top. And that's a difficult thing. So it, there's a real challenge to your sense of self in some ways as a, as a man that we need to go through. And that, that's a painful thing, right? Yeah. It takes,
1: yeah. It yeah. takes a lot of bravery. I mean, I was, it took me a long, 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 long time to understand about the gaze of, of men because mm. we are surrounded by the gaze of men and Ga-
0: the, gaze, the being... gaze of men.
1: So it's sim- simply how a man will look at a, a, a young woman walking up the street. Yeah. And, and, it took me a long, long time to realise that men have no idea how that makes women feel.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we we t- actually, I do have to say one thing, Andrew. I, I, I don't know if I, in the, in the spirit of calling out, uh, you called Holly a girl. She she's she was a woman. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, but but that that you know, I'd, I'd be yeah, I'd be hypocritical if I didn't call you out on that. Um, but that that exactly that thing that you talk about Sue um I had absolutely no idea about that and the way I don't know if you know about the Jackson Katz test um so Jackson Katz is this amazing guy who uh does what I do but a million times better in the US he's actually a proper academic and researches this sort of stuff um and uh I watched something that he did where he asked a crowd um and I and I now do this because it's so powerful uh women in the room um when you're walking home and it's late at night um what do you do to try and protect yourself Mm -hmm. and you know Sue there is a myriad of things that women Mm -hmm. do like uh pretending to be on the phone weaponizing their keys Mm -hmm. um you know making sure they're near light like you know actually being on the phone so many different things never making
1: eye contact
2: right there you go um (laughs) And you can set this out, check out Jackson cat's test. Um, and you, saw, you see all the men in the audience going like, what, 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 what? And then he says, right, men, what do you do? And the men just go, uh, nothing. And then how many of you in the audience, how many of you men in the audience knew about that? And so many of the men go, uh, what? It's like, yes. So then what I asked my, what my male students, or, or, or when I'm in, places of work for example is I say guys how many of you knew about that and and, and a few will go yeah I guess so yeah and then uh, how many of you are doing anything to try and stop that and it's like well what can I do to try and stop that and it's like well that's kind of what I'm here for because mm-hmm. the fact that you all now know about that means that if you're now walking down the street on your own and there's a woman in front of you I will now cross the road so I'm not yeah. walking behind her
1: so she doesn't have to because
2: she doesn't have to and she doesn't feel intimidated by me like i won't pace up quickly behind a woman who's walking alone at night because previously i would have just strode past and not thought and and, and not realized that for a split second she's shitting her pants
1: yeah
2: and it's little things like that's what i'm saying it's tiny tiny things like that that we can help and we can do but but it but it's but it's also Partly not our fault because evolu- there's two schools of thought, either, e- either evolutionary or, society or, or b- because of societal factors. We know that by the time young boys get to like 13, 14, they have less empathy. And so, actually, my argument is I don't really care why. It doesn't matter to me why. But what we do know is that young boys are lacking empathy in comparison to young girls. So, actually, we need to be trying a lot harder. To increase those empathy levels, and by explaining that casual misogyny, and you know, I'm speaking to young w- young girls in playgrounds and who've been had their bum pinched by boys um, when I'm doing research, and them just saying, "Oh, it's you know, boys just getting told, well, boys will be boys," and and there being no, never mind punishment for the boy, but no conversation about what that felt like for that girl to have her agency removed.
1: Uh, listen, I could we could have this conversation all, all day. In fact, i I quite like to do a weekly podcast with you. But uh, <laughs> we're possible, because one of the things that astonished me was a, a few years ago when that research came out about um, university students and it said that n- nine out of ten women had been sexually harassed in a club. And I, I heard this news. I was, I was stunned by it because, you know, way back when I was in that position and I went clubbing, that would not have been the case, that it feels that some things have got worse. And when I talked to a bunch of um, uni students about it, they said, oh, nine out of 10. They said, forget that. They said 10 out of 10 every time. I just. Awful. Anyway, what's next for you, Chris? Locked down and uh, locked, (laughs) locked, locked down permitting.
2: Well, I'm now training to be a psychotherapist. Oh, brilliant. And I um, am. Well, I'm. I'm at some point in the future going to launch, I'm trying to get the BBC um, and anywhere really to commission uh, a podcast about men in therapy. Um, I want to, uh, cause at the moment it's about three to one, the number of men um, who are therapists and also who are in therapy. Um, So uh, my long-term goal is to open a male centric therapy practice um i want to uh start interviewing men who've been in therapy to talk about the experience and make a kind of normalize it and also want to write a book about trying to get more men into therapy but also what we can what i've learned from the whole experience of becoming one that we can take into our day-to-day lives to try and make male spaces more therapeutic um so you know small plans um But uh, yeah, I I can't stop now, is my problem. Mm. Um, This is a burning passion that I have uh, lost control over. Um, And I have a plan for the first time in my I didn't plan to write a book, I didn't plan to become a journalist, it just kind of happened, which I guess can happen to a privileged white guy. Um, But now I actually have a plan for the first time, which is really weird. Um, But yeah, so, watch the space I shall hopefully in about three years I shall be a trained psychotherapist
0: brilliant brilliant Chris now we're on to questions that we ask all our guests so the first one is what is your favorite line for a poem a song or a book um (laughs) uh
2: I shouldn't say this because it kind of devalues me, but I have to. Um, I always remember the Strokes lyric, Um, I'm working so I don't have to try so hard. Um, uh, I remember remember that lyric when I was writing my book and I was working a job. So I was working nine to five and then writing my book in the evening and then writing nine to five at the weekend. And I always remembered that lyric because Mm -hmm. I knew that even though I was working really hard then, that actually was going to make my future more comfortable and easier so yeah I'm always kind of working so I don't have to try so hard um, and that's why I want to train to be a therapist because once I've done the training then I know that the work that I do with men will make more sense and will become easier so yeah that is very much for some reason one that caught me when I was really I was you know I came out in 2001 2003 something like that anyway so I was very young
1: Very good. Um, Okay, if you were a genie, what five commonly available objects would I have to put in a magic circle to summon you?
2: Um, Cricket bat. uh, A bottle of rum. um, uh,
0: Any particular rum, Chris?
2: Yeah, Kraken. Kraken will do nicely as an everyday rum. But if I I can choose any, then uh, Ron's a Kappa XO. Which is my absolute favourite. I've got a bottle of it, which I've had for about twelve, thirteen years. Um, a um, some some kind of psychedelic drug would be good. Um,
1: a we've rib- been I don't we've been asked for a, a, a drug before, have we? No. That's uh, no, no. interesting, and it, you're right. It is commonly available, so it's commonly very yeah.
2: much so. Um, a really comfy chair and a pair of sunglasses because i have to have sunglasses on me at all times because of my eyes very good
0: what is your single best skill
2: Ooh. see it used to be bowling at cricket (laughs) but i hurt my back so it's not that anymore um sounds like a weird one but honestly i would say uh I'm torn between two very different ones: just catching, um, or um, seeing people for who they really are.
1: That's quite a superpower. And would, I, I, I don't
2: yeah. say that about myself. People say that about me, which is really nice.
1: That and sounds like a useful talent for a mm-hmm. trainee psychotherapist as well. Yeah. So, yeah, let's go with that one. Sounds it's it's, 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 it's uh, quite a super. What would you practice more if you have the time and the space? Maybe you are already answering that.
2: No, um, I, I wouldn't practice. I would just learn how to play the guitar um, because for some reason, my brother played guitar, my older brother played guitar, my middle brother played drums, and I played the French horn. <laughs> um, and I know it's not the main reason to play an instrument, but as I explained to my mum years ago, nobody ever got laid for, for playing the French horn. Uh, <laughs> but yeah it was not the sexiest instrument and also I had braces taken in and out while I was learning to play it so I just gave it up um but yeah because I can sing not well I can I can hold a tune so why I didn't learn to play the guitar I'll never know
0: brilliant and the final question you can prepare for what fictional world would you live in and why uh
2: 2018
0: I mean that's not what fictional world is 2018?
2: Well, a world before coronavirus. A, right, world, a world the year after my book came out. Uh, for the year b- before um, my relationship with my ex ended and my best mate died. Um, probably the happiest year of my life. So uh, I'll take 2018, please.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to sound like a knob for saying this, but that's not fictional.
2: It is now.
1: It is now. I think he's, technically he's got... We'll have to take this to the committee, Andrew.
0: OK, OK. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was,
1: I... w- wasn't what we meant. We meant something from a book or a, or a well, kind I, of movie or something. But
2: The reason the reason that I say that is because uh, I my brain is not wired for fiction.
1: Maybe um, um, maybe uh, that the, the, it was it was the time travelling book. Maybe that's it. You know, we could we could uh, the HG Wells book. We yes. could. Uh, because then you can go back. The time
0: machine. The time machine. Um,
1: We've got a question that you can't prepare for, Chris. It's been brilliant to talk to you. They are taking a hundred questions, a conversation toolkit taken from the uh, School of Life. I'll I'll, I'll turn my camera on. I'm I'm holding them up. Um, If you could kind of go sort of uh, my right, middle, my left.
2: Your right, please. That one.
1: Cool. Ah, Does the price of a work of art ever reflect how good it is?
2: Okay, my my new partner is an artist, so she's gonna be very interested in my answer to this question. Does the price of a work of art reflect how good the artist is? Um, I would say probably in the early days of the artist's career, but then the further on you get, if you're successful in your early years, then I would suggest that actually you are selling your reputation as much as you are selling your art.
1: Interesting. Unless you're Van Gogh, in which case it was the other way around. No.
2: I'll have to no. take your word on that. I'm not, I'm not as cultured <laughs> as you think.
1: Uh, maybe Maybe not. I mean, it's, it's uh, what is the price of it? The price is the reputation. That's what the art market. That's the economics of the art market, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Interesting.
0: Chris, this has been a fantastic chat. Thank you so much for your time. I wish we could, I honestly wish we could just talk for hours or have a weekly podcast like Sue said. So thank you very much for your time.
2: Brilliant. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Cheers.